0: This is not what well it's not. You shouldn't say it's not an encyclical. It's an exhortation. So it's just a letter of the Pope. If you read the front of it, it's an apostolic exhortation called Evangelii Gaudium. That's always the first two words of the document where it gets its name, and the words mean the joy of the gospel of the Holy Father Francis to the bishops, the clergy, consecrated persons, and, and the lay faithful on the proclamation of the gospel in the world. So uh, it's called, you can buy it for $9.50 or something in any of the holy shops. uh, And it has reference numbers every half a page. Uh, It's 400,000 words long. We're not going to try and do all that in half an hour. Uh, uh, It's uh, in great detail. It's his his own work. It's his own work. And uh, it's a, a different spirit altogether. Last October, it's dated November, by the way, 24, so it's not yet six months old, so you're really up to date, all right? Uh, Last October, I was in Queensland, one of the bishops said to me, all this talk about the new evangelisation, what is it, what does it mean? And, uh, well, he should know it by now if he got a letter in November telling him what it's about. Now, uh, I've underlined in green bits I'm going to do uh, maybe start with section number one, and we, we, uh, that will come up all right. So uh, I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm going to summarise it, and and, uh, and I know, I'll tell you in advance, that uh, the, that many points I'm not going to get to tonight. That's your homework, all right? And that, so I, I, I'm anticipating that I'll get this far, uh, and uh, but we can stop any time. Because one thing the Pope says, if you're evangelising time, doesn't matter hmm? yeah. for a parish priest them hard words so line 1 chapter 1 uh, the joy of the gospel fills the hearts and lives of all who encounter Jesus and one thing you'll notice about this pope and the last three or four and probably not before that for several hundred years I don't know many uh, The Jesus the word Jesus is used to this is a commentary as well as a document, right? We were, I was read in an era where the, the word Jesus was hardly ever used. Even the Holy Name Society was called the Holy Name, not the Jesus <laughs> Society, you know. And I think, uh, you know, we, uh, we had one bishop in Sydney uh, who for all the time he was the Bishop of Sydney, so I nearly said the number of years you wouldn't be able to track which bishop it was if I'd said that. But he gave the Christmas message to the media Uh, And never once mentioned Jesus. Now, it's pretty hard not to mention Jesus at Christmas. But if you put your mind to it, you can. And in our culture, in our culture, from the good people, from the good people, you know, Jesus had, he was Christ the Lord, he was our master, he was, you know, but his name is Jesus. Uh, His mother wasn't Mrs. Christ. Christ is not his surname. Christ is his job description He's the Christ, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. And uh, uh, this Pope can't, I read somewhere that the word joy is used so many hundred times and the word love and so unfortunately no one counted the word Jesus. I'm sure there's a computer that can do it uh, but I think you'd find uh, five times on every page. And uh, it's charismatics, we're used to that and very good at it. Uh, but out there, they're not. <laughs> out there, they're not. Uh, uh, all right. Out there, they're not. So And, uh, you know, the priest, uh, I was invited to talk at the seminary uh, during the week, just by invited to dinner, and then the rector asked me to talk to the students. they never heard of this document. I said, oh, hey, get onto it. I said, there's 15 pages in that about preaching. Make sure your parish priest reads the 15 pages. Of it. If he doesn't read the rest, make sure he reads the 15 pages about preaching. Good. Amen. Let's start. The joy of the gospel fills the hearts and lives of all who encounter Jesus. Those who accept his offer of salvation are set free from sin and sorrow, inner emptiness and loneliness. With Christ, joy is constantly born anew. In this exhortation, I wish to encourage the Christian faithful. To embark upon a new chapter of evangelization marked by this joy while pointing out new paths of the church journey in years to come. And we, we slide down number two, and I'll, I'll probably jump a sentence every now and then. Uh, the great danger in today's world, pervade, pervaded by consumerism, is the desolation and anguish born of a complacent yet covetous heart, the feverish pursuit of frivolous pleasures and the blunted conscience. Whenever our interior life becomes caught up in its own interests and concerns, there's no longer room for others, no place for the poor. God's voice is no longer heard. We skip a sentence. This is no way to live a dignified and fulfilled life. It is not God's will for us, nor is it the life in the spirit which has its source in the hearts of the risen Christ. Uh, number three, I, I read to you before one Sunday here at Mass, uh, with the prayer that we should pray, Lord. I have not let my. I'm sorry, Michael. I, I'm. It, oh, he did it. Jesus is mentioned 145 times in the document. Oh, we are so good around here. eh? <laughs> how good are oh, uh, wonderful. We're 145 times in uh, in 245 pages. So I'm not surprised. That's you know, and it's not in the culture that I was brought up in. The name, using the name of Jesus, I think we were frightened we might have been blaspheming. So to make sure we weren't committing the mortal sin, we didn't say it at all. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I'm surely I have testified, have I not, to the power of the name of Jesus in healing prayer in my own life? Have I done that yeah. with you? Yeah, I don't have to be convinced. I just know that it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, some of the younger people are here today. And I'm really pleased they are because there's much in this that is directed to them. And they don't have to read the light of it. They don't have to know it all, but none of us do. But there's a section that applies to you very specially and that's the one you should read. This number three in the thing with the prayer, Lord, I've let myself be deceived in a thousand ways. I've shown your love. And here I am once more to renew my covenant with you. That's the prayer for the baptism in the spirit. That's the sinner's prayer. The Pope has put it right in here at the start. We know where that comes from. We know what it's about. And uh, there's fully, it's a life in the spirit seminar. And he knows, he gives the quotes for that number four from the Old Testament. Number five, he gives the, the, the quotes for the word joy. He makes a big effort in this first part about joy and he gets to, to define it. Uh, and joy for the Holy Father is, is the fruit of the spirit and he talks very much about, uh, you know, it's not about being happy, clappy, and it's not about uh, uh, being in high spirits all the time. Uh, he says, hey, number six. There, are, uh, how good is he? Did he get up to that? That good? Yeah, you're good. Good. What a good, good line. There are Christians whose lives seem to be like Lent without Easter. Uh, I realise, of course, the joy is not expressed the same way at all times in life, especially at moments of great difficulty. Joy adapts and changes, but it always endures, even as a flicker of light born out of our personal certainty that when everything is said and done, we are infinitely loved. Joy, joy is defined by the Holy Father as the absolute conviction in your heart that you are infinitely loved by God. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. We don't worship how we feel. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit, is connected to that. This is his theme right through the first part and indeed through the whole of this thing. If we are going to evangelise, we're going to evangelise with joy. He doesn't want uh, uh, people, sourpusses, he calls them. He uses the word sour And in number 10, consequently, in, in uh, halfway down number 10, words starting it. consequently we got it no, let me, Yeah. consequently an evangeliser must never look like someone who's just come back from a funeral <laughs> did I say that recently here Did you, was that said one Sunday G.K. Chesterton said it 100 years ago the great English writer he said when Catholics are going into church they look as though they're going to a funeral when they're coming out of church they look as though they've been to a funeral right <laughs> so uh, the, the Pope's pinching my lines again there <laughs> he let us recover and deepen our enthusiasm that delightful and com- comforting joy of evangelizing uh, and he said people know people know if you've got the joy of the Lord you can't Augustine says that no one can give what they haven't got you can't give it if you haven't got it and if you've got it you must give it away that's the nature of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is given to us to give it away. If you try and hold on to it, you know they talk about the—I talk about the Jordan River going into the Dead Sea. Um, The Sea of Galilee is beautiful, most fertile river in forever. Irrigates hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. A beautiful country, Uh, but when it comes to a dead end, it just turns into salt, and it evaporates, and you can't—nothing can live in it. And the Spirit's the same. It's given to us to be given away. Uh, And may the world of our time, which is searching and sometimes with anguish, sometimes with hope, be able to receive the good news, not from evangelizers who are dejected and discouraged or impatient or anxious, but from ministers of the gospel whose lives glow with fervor, who have received the joy of Christ. So so that's his big... The big statement, you know, what's the new evangelization? The new evangelization is an evangelization that is the fruit of joy, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He mentions uh, the fruits of the Spirit very much through the letter. Uh, He said in 11, a renewal of preaching can offer believers... Is he keeping up with me? Is he good? Is he good? Thank you, thank you, boy. All good. Um, A renewal of preaching can offer believers as well as the lukewarm and the non-practicing... New joy in the faith and fruitfulness in their work of evangelisation. The heart of the message will always be the same. God who revealed his immense love in the crucified and risen Christ. God constantly renews his faithful ones whatever their age. Now he's got some great scriptures. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, Eagle's wings. Do you understand the metaphor of eagle's wings? I, I mean, we sing about it a lot and we love it, but but you know the the, the message is is uh, I shouldn't interrupt on the Pope's talk, but maybe maybe for the <laughs> I'm allowed. Um, <laughs> eagles are born in an eyrie, which is the highest, 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 highest point you could ever see, right? Uh, and imagine if you were born. In the highest point on the world, how you would learn to fly? <laughs> you got it. You're in a difficult. You're in a very difficult position. You're looking out there. You see mum and dad go out every day, and you're in the nest. And you say, one day we're going to leave here. How do we go? And uh, nature does it so that the mother eagle tips the baby eagle out, and goes down underneath, catches the eagle on the wing and brings it back to the nest three or four times. And when the mother thinks it's old old enough, (laughs) one time mother doesn't go down and get the little eagle and you're on your own, love. (laughs) It wouldn't be good, good way of getting rid of the children. (laughs) Uh, That's the metaphor. And so so the, the... like when Mary is carried on eagle's wings into the desert to mind the children of Jesus, you know that's the, that's the desert's a good place. Eagle's wings is a good place. It's a safe place because you're going to land. Uh, so they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Eagles don't fly; they soar. Chickens fly and don't get anywhere, huh? yeah you know, they can get two or three feet at the best, all right, just get on the perch, but eagles just soar and soar and soar, and they can carry their baby on the wing, bring them back, put them in the nest, and that image of God is very common. Christ is the eternal gospel, is the same yesterday and today and forever many the scriptures in this are just powerful he 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 can put. Hebrews and Revelation and Isaiah together, one by one, line by line, and Romans in such a beautiful way. Then he goes to St. John of the Cross and, and, and the classic traditions of the time. It's very, very brilliant uh, man he is. Uh, though, number 12. Though it is true that this mission depends on great generosity on our part and really hard work, it will be wrong to see it as a heroic individual undertaking for it's first and foremost, it's the Lord's work, surpassing anything which we can see and understand. Jesus is the first and the greatest evangelizer. In every activity of evangelization, the primacy always belongs to God, who has called us to cooperate with him, who leads us on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We got this. Is it that too fast? I mean, that's a beautiful sentence. That's a, that's a colossal sentence. We get really preoccupied with ourselves sometimes and the wonderful things that we do and and uh, yeah Jesus is the first and the greatest evangelizer. the real newness is the newness which God himself mysteriously brings about and inspires and provokes and guides and accompanies in a thousand ways the life of the church should always reveal clearly that God takes the initiative that he has loved us first and that he alone gives the growth they're again, First John and First Corinthians thrown in there together. Do the scripture quotes come up on your... They do, they do. The, this conviction enables us to maintain a spirit of joy in the midst of a task so demanding and challenging that it engages our entire life. God asks everything of us, yet at the same time he offers everything to us. It's, it's a shame to go fast. The next bit then he says how he does this through the Eucharist as the, the church daily remembrance and deeper sharing in the events of the Passover. Halfway down, the joy of evangelising always arises from grateful remembrance. It's a grace which we constantly need to implore. The apostles never forgot the moment when Jesus touched their heart. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I remember when Jesus touched my heart. Do you remember yours? you know what time it was? Mm-hmm. I know what time it was for me. I know what day it was. It was the 19th of January, 1977. It was about 4.20 in the afternoon. Is that clear? I'd still do it. John remembered. He said it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. What's the significance of that phrase? Just that he remembered the time and the place and the date. Together with Jesus, this remembrance makes us point to a great cloud of witnesses, some of whom as believers we recall with great joy. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. The believer is essentially one who remembers. The new evangelization for the, or the signs of the times, the, the, the number 14. Attentive to the properties of the Holy Spirit who helps us together read the signs of the times. Um, the synod reaffirmed that the new evangelization summons and address to all and it's carried out in three principal settings. The first thing is that in ordinary pastoral ministry, like in your community or in a parish, we're animated by the fire of the Spirit to inflame one another. Is the second area, uh, down the paragraph, is those who are baptised but don't do anything else about it. See? He, he knows about your parish and your family and all the people in the... ..tell the story... One of the priests told the story during the week about the uh, Minister's Fraternal had a meeting about what they do about the young adults when they stop going to church. And uh, the, the the first subject on the agenda was was what to do about the pigeons in the bell tower. And the <laughs> Presbyterian said, well, don't shoot them, whatever you do, because you put holes in the roof and then the roof leaks forever and you get water in the place. And the other one said, "Don't use rat poison or something, because that's dangerous. And some kid might get up there, and, and then you have a murder on your hands." And the Catholic priest said, "How do you get rid of the pigeons in the loft?" He said, "Easy. He said we confirm them and baptize them, and they never come back." <laughs> that's not that's not as funny as it should be, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, you, you know, the Pope knows. He has a whole section on. He has a whole section on that here. How we deal with them. He said they're still part. They're still part of the evangelisation, and specifically he says later on, and they are eligible for baptism and they are eligible for the first communion and don't be knocking them back just because their parents don't go to church. Despite what some of the other documents seem to say a few years ago. All right. Uh, lastly, he said uh, the third. The third section of people, those that go to church, those that don't go but should go. Lastly, we cannot forget that evangelism is is first and foremost preaching the gospel to those who do not know Jesus Christ or have always rejected him. Many of these are quietly seeking God, led by a yearning to see his face, even in countries of ancient Christian tradition. All of them have a right to receive the gospel. Christians have the duty to proclaim the gospel without excluding anyone. Instead of seeming to impose new obligations, they should appear as people who wish to share their joy, who point to her horizon of beauty and who invite others to a delicious banquet. It's not by proselytizing that the church grows, but by attraction. You don't get it, you catch it. All right? He's good. He's good, this guy. Uh, The Gospel is 15... There must be no lessening of impotence to preach the gospel to those who are far from Christ because this is the first task of the church. Indeed, missionary tasks must remain foremost. What would happen if we were to take these words seriously? We would realise that missionary outreach is pragmatic for all the church's activity. Along these lines, the Latin American bishop stated that we cannot passively and calmly wait in our church buildings We need to move from pastoral ministry to a mere conservation of a decidedly missionary pastoral ministry. This trust continues to be the source of immense joy to the church. Such, so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. That's his introduction, all right? Then we get over to chapter 1, which will be number 19. Uh, this is the church's missionary transformation. How are we doing? Am I belting at you too fast or a million miles an hour? Are you getting a, yeah, it's, a, it's a big, I said to Chris, it's a, it's a huge task, but I'll I give it a go. I told you before, one of the Jesuits said once I wasn't a very good teacher, but I was a fast one. <laughs> 19. Evangelization takes place in obedience to the missionary mandate of Jesus. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I command you. It's interesting the order of that. You won't know me too long before you'll hear a good homily about it. What's the first thing you do? Make disciples. What's the second thing you do? Baptize them. What's the third thing you do? Teach them. You know, we're baptising them and teaching them and hoping that they'll be disciples. It's not working. It's not working. You fall in love first, so they tell me, and then you want to know all about the partner. You don't want to know all about them first and then decide to fall in love. Is that the way it works? I don't know, you tell me. By the time you knew all about them, you might change your mind. They weren't with me. I don't think they were with me. Do you want me to do that again? No. You are? No. no. All right. The church which goes forth. 21, we'll go to. We've got to get somewhere. The gospel joy which enlivens the community of disciples is missionary joy. The 72 disciples felt as they returned from their mission, they felt the joy. You all felt it tonight when I walked into this place. You were so full of joy feeding all those people out there you know you had the smell of the sheep on you you did (laughs) he's he's going to talk about that in a minute we're going to get it you did and it it brings it does bring its own reward the disciples come back they said lord you know you wouldn't believe it everybody comes back they they say lord you wouldn't believe it yeah but he would believe it you know people come back to me in a charismatic retreat you wouldn't believe what happened to me of course i'd believe what happened to them uh, I expected it to happen to him, all right? The joy is the sign of the gospel. has been proclaimed and is bearing fruit. Yet the drive to go forth and give, to go out for ourselves, keeps pressing forward in our sowing the good seed, remains ever present. I'm absolutely touched by the number of times he refers to the parables of the sower and the seed and the cockle and the darnel and all those beautiful parables, which you'll get this year in, Mark, in Matthew's gospel. And uh, two parents say, you know, my kids don't go to mass or uh, what are they doing now? Well, it's not your job. Your job is to sow the seed. The harvest is to the Lord's. That's what those parables mean. The only guarantee you've got that you'll have no harvest in your family is if you don't sow the seed. You want me to say that again? The only guarantee you've got that there'll be no harvest in your family is if you don't sow the seed there won 't be a crop, but if you sow the seed, there will be a harvest. It might be twenty fold it might be thirty fold it might be sixty fold it might be a hundredfold not your problem. The harvest is the lord's. He goes back to these par- simple little parables that sort of to be honest, I skipped over most of my life. you know they were nice and they were comforting and they were very agricultural and so <laughs> <laughs> um, he 's so good um, to keep pressing forward in our sowing the good seed. And th- that remains where The Lord says, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also. That's why I came out. Once the seed has been sown in one place, Jesus does not stay behind to explain things or to perform more signs. The Spirit moves him to go forth to other towns. God's word, 22, is unpredictable in its power. Amen. What? God speaks of a seed which once sown grows by itself even when the farmer's asleep. Isn't that nice to know? That a third of the time God's working in your life and you're sound asleep and you don't know anything about it. Two-thirds of the day you're working and evangelising and helping the Lord. A third of the time the seed is growing even whilst the farmer is asleep. Hey, that's Mark's gospel. You're not going to get that this year. That's another year. All right. The church has to accept this unruly freedom of the word which accomplishes what it wills in ways that surpass our calculations and ways of thinking. Communion 23. Communion and mission are profoundly interconnected. In fidelity to the example of the Master, it's vitally important for the church to go forth and preach the gospel to all, to all places, on all occasions, without hesitation or reluctance or fear. The joy of the gospel is for all people. No one can be excluded. That is what the angel proclaimed to the shepherds in Bethlehem. Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will come to all the people. The book of Revelation speaks of an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tongue, and tribe, and people. So he suggests then some steps that we should do, that we take. The first thing is to take the first step, to take the initiative, 24. How are we going, Michael? We pretty good? He's good, all right. This is the I wasn't brought up with this technology thing, you know, so I think it's I, I, I had to print out a hard copy to be able to sort of, because that's what I was reared on, you know. Uh, but it's really nice to not to feel like I'm just reading it to you. 24, the church goes forth. It's a community of missionary disciples who take the first step, who are involved and supportive, who bear fruit and rejoice. An evangelizing community knows that the Lord has taken the initiative. He loved us first. and Therefore, we can move forward boldly, take the initiative, go out to others, seek those who have fallen away, stand at the crossroads and welcome the outcast. Such a community has an endless desire to show mercy, the fruit of its own experience of the power of the Father's infinite mercy. Let us try a little harder to take the first step and to become involved. I always say that, there's a thing in the Catholic Church called Catholic paralysis. You ever sat near a window that's banging in a rainstorm and one everybody waiting for someone else to get up and close the window? They, they, at home, if the window was banging, they'd be up straight away and have it <laughs> shut. But, you know, because, 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 you know, Father, I don't know why because, but when they get into the church, they're different people. And the Pope saying, get involved, take the initiative, make a mistake, let someone roar at you, Je- let, tell you why. <coughs> Jesus washed the feet of his... There's a scripture for it. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. The Lord gets involved and he involves his own as he kneels to wash their feet. He tells the disciples, you will be blessed if you do this. Hard to argue with the Pope. <laughs> All right. It's nice, isn't it? Here's, here's the special bit. Here's the special bit. This is still 24. Um, an evangelising community, we got, we got that bit, have we, there? Yeah. Uh, it gets involved by word and deed in people's daily lives. It bridges distances. It's willing to abase itself if necessary, and it embraces human life, touching the suffering flesh of Christ in others. Evangelisers take on the smell of the sheep. And the sheep are willing to hear their voice. An evangelising community is supportive, standing by people at every step of the way, no matter how difficult or lengthy this may prove to be. It's familiar with patient expectation and apostolic endurance. Evangelization consists mostly of patience and disregard of constraints of time. I had great difficulty with that. I've been a time and motion man all my life, you know. If Mass takes more than 55 minutes, they'll all leave and go to the next parish. Yeah. And they do. (laughs) And they still do. They still do. Disregard for the constraints of time. Faithful to the Lord's gift, it also bears fruit. An evangelising community is always concerned with fruit because the Lord wants her to be fruitful. It cares for the grain and does not grow impatient at the weeds. The sower, when he sees weeds sprouting up among the grain, does not grumble or overact. See, the harvest is the Lord's. The weeds are none of your business. The kingdom of God is like a net that's thrown in the sea. It's got good fish and bad fish. Leave the bad fish, swimming with the good fish, and the Lord will sort it out when he brings in the net. It's not your business to cut (laughs) the bad fish, all right? It's your business to make sure that the net catches That the kingdom of God—it all right. He loves the parables. I think we're in for a good year on we're in for a good year on the parables. I think and this man, this man has made the parables a real part of his spiritual life. They're not just stories in the life of Christ. He or she finds a way to let the word take flesh in a particular situation and bear fruits of new life. However imperfect or inca- incomplete these may occur. So, uh, all right. Skip a line, maybe. It celebrates at every small victory. Celebrations are good in your communities. Let's get this bit: every step forward is a work of evangelization. Evangelization with joy becomes beauty in the liturgy, as a part of our daily concern to spread goodness. The church evangelizes and is herself evangelized through the beauty of the liturgy which is both a celebration of the task of evangelization, and the source of her renewed self-giving. Oh, this man's good, isn't he? This man's good. As I said, you could keep the book as a little, uh, you know, a pocket reading. Just read one bit today, each day. One thing. And one, some of it touch you more than others. And I've left out lights, I tell you. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the green underlined bits. It reminds me of the story, the guy used to underline the Bible from back to front, you know. And and the preacher said to me one day, why do you underline the Bible? He said, well, when I go back to read it again, he said, I can spend time with the passages that touched me so much the first time. And the preacher said, I think it would be a good idea to go back the second time and and underline the passages you didn't underline the first time. (laughs) It might be what the Lord's trying to say, you know. It's a it's a good practice, especially with a highlighter. And I'm talking up here today because this is so so uh, complex. I, I've got no idea what's over the page until uh, I get there. And uh, uh, should should we have a stop or a blow? Or are we we surviving all right? Yeah, sure. All right, good. Um, here's a bit here now for your community elders, your parish priest and for all those who are in authority. 25, I am aware that nowadays documents do not arouse the same interest as in the past, and they are quickly forgotten. Nevertheless, I want to emphasise that what I am trying to express here has a programmatic significance and important consequences. I hope that all communities will devote the necessary effort to advancing along the path of a pastoral and missionary conversion which cannot leave things as they presently are. Mere administration can no longer be enough. Throughout the world, let us be permanently in a state of mission. Amen. 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 Don't we all know that? (laughs) This guy, yeah, this guy's been there. This guy's done there and he's done. Um, What are are the things that he sees that are important? Uh, 27. I dream of a missionary option. This is very personal for a Pope to start a sentence with, you know, I dream of something. It's a, we haven't had that. We haven't had that before. This is not an encyclical. It's an exhortation. So it's, it's, it's really, I dream of a missionary option. That is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything to be suitably challenged for the evangelization of today's world rather than for her self-preservation we forget about self-preservation, all right? The renewal of structures demanded by pastoral conversion can only be understood in this light, a part of the effort to make them more mission oriented to make ordinary pastoral activity on every level more inclusive and open, to inspiring pastoral workers, a constant desire to go forth, and in this way to elicit a positive response from all those whose Jesus summons to friendship with him. As Pope John Paul said, all the renewal in the church must have mission as its goal if it's not to fall prey to a kind of ecclesial introversion. Now, the next 28, 29 are pretty good. 29 special for your community. I suggest 28 is pretty special for me. And 28 uh, is about parishes. 29 is about communities. Uh, i just got to sit down. and If I sit down, I... I have a parallax with the, with the document, all right. So this is, this is what he wants for a parish, all right. You line it up with your parish and go home and tell your parish priest. All right, are you ready for him? The parish is not an outdated institution. Wacko. Precisely because it possesses great flexibility that can assume quite different contours depending on the openness and missionary creativity of the pastor and the community. While certainly not the only institution which evangelizes, if it provides capable self-renewal and constant adaptivity, it continues to be the church living in the midst of the homes of her sons and daughters. This presumes that it really is in contact with the homes and lives of its people and does not become a useless structure or out of touch with people or self-absorbed cluster made up of a chosen few. The parish is the presence of the church in a given territory an environment for hearing God's word, for growth in Christian life, for dialogue, proclamation, charitable outreach, worship and celebration. For dialogue, growth in Christian life, proclamation, charitable outreach, worship and celebration. You should have plenty to do. In all its activities, the parish encourages and trains its members to be evangelizers. It is a community of communities, a sanctuary where the thirsty come to drink in the midst of their journey and a centre of constant missionary outreach. We must admit though that the call to review and renew our parishes has not yet sufficed to bring them nearer to people, to make them environments of living communion and participation or to make them completely mission-orientated. Big big statement, beautiful big statement. Other church institutions, basic communities and small communities, movements and forms of association are a source of enrichment for the church. So you've got no problem with this pope, all right? You've got no problem with this pope. The servants of Jesus have got no problem with this pope, all right? Amen. You want me to read that again? Other church institutions, basic communities and small communities, movements and forms of association are a source of enrichment for the church raised up by the Spirit for evangelising different areas and sectors. Frequently they bring a new evangelising fervour and a new capacity for dialogue with the world whereby the church is renewed. But it will prove beneficial for them not to lose contact with the rich reality of the local parish and to participate readily in the overall pastoral activity of the particular church. This kind of integration will prevent them from concentrating only on part of the gospel or the church or becoming nomads without roots. All right, you're in there. You're in the book. You're in the document. Hallelujah! Amen. This guy. Amen. Yeah. Each, each particular church, has a portion of the Catholic Church, under the leadership of its bishop, is likewise, to be called missionary, to called to missionary conversion. It's the primary subject of evangelization since it is the concrete manifestation of the one church in the one place and is the one holy, catholic and apostolic church of Christ is truly present and operative. Whenever we need the light and life of the risen Christ, is greatest. Wherever the need is greatest, it will want to be there. To make missionary impulse even more focused, generous and fruitful, I encourage each particular church to undertake a resolute process of discernment purification, and reform. Number 32, I just give it to you as a... Uh, I see a huge turnaround in uh, in papal thinking, absolute somersault. Uh, we go down halfway through 32 to the sentences against the Second Vatican Council. You got that one? All right, he's very good at the back. He's good. All right, I want to read... This is so outstanding to me I can hardly believe it I'm so pleased the second Vatican Council stated that like the ancient patriarchal churches episcopal conferences are in a position to contribute in many and fruitful ways to the concrete realization of collegial spirit yet this desire has not been fully realized and how some of the popes are going to be canonized very soon made sure Episcopal conferences did not get off the ground, all right? The Australian Episcopal Conference never got off the ground. As, uh, uh, but this guy's saying, that Epi- well, you hear what he's saying. Since the judicial status of Epis- Episcopal conferences, which would see them as subjects of specific attributions, including genuine doctrinal authority, has not yet been sufficiently elaborated. Excessive centralisation rather than proving helpful, complicates the church's life and her missionary outreach. I had the biggest hallelujah when I read that that you've ever heard of in your life. I just cannot believe what a turnaround that is and how there must be upside down, tum- tumble. cardinals doing tumbles in the, in, the, in the courier in Rome when they read that. The Decentralisation rather than proving helpful complicates the church's life. And if we've got bishops here, they're put there by the Holy Spirit as we truly believe. And uh, well, they, this, well, all they're wanting to do is to be listened to. They don't want to rule the church. The, the Pope's the Pope. The Pope rules the church. And we, All of us, even the lay people down the line, we like to be listened to. That's all we're asking. And this guy says, I want to listen to you. <coughs> wow, 33. Pastoral ministry is a missionary key to seek to abandon the, the complacent attitude that says, we've always done it this way. <laughs> you got some of them? You got some of them? I invite everyone to be bold and creative in this task of rethinking the goals, structures, styles and method of evangelisation in their respective communities. A proposal of goals without an adequate communal search for the means of achieving them will inevitably prove illusory. I encourage everyone to apply the guidelines found in this document generously and courageously without inhibitions or fear. The important thing is not to walk alone, but to rely on each other as brothers and sisters, especially under the leadership of the bishops in a wise and realistic pastoral discernment. All right. There's a next section and section three from the heart of the gospel is good. It's about the virtues and it's about the gifts and it's about spirituality. I've written there, go to number 40. I must have been c- conscious of time, which I shouldn't be conscious of time anymore, but uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, how are we doing? Isn't it good? Isn't it good? Isn't it good? I said to one of the bishops, a New Zealand bishop, so I can quote him very well, On know retreat in January. This had just come out and he was reading it and I was trying to read it. And uh, I said, the pity is so long-winded. I said, you think he could cut it down to 30 or 40 pages? There'd be more of a chance that we'd read it. He said, "Hey, he's Latino." He said he can't say he can't say something in 40 pages like you can. He said he's a Latino. He said he's South American. He's, yeah. So that's but but there's not a wasted word in it, and the scripture references are beautiful. And, and uh oh, I'm skipping. I'm skipping the churches. Are, so number 40. I I skipped a few good ones there that are in green, but anyway. The church is herself a missionary disciple. She needs to grow in her interpretation of the revealed world and her understanding of the truth. It's a task of exegesis and theologians to help the judgment of the church to mature. The other sciences also help us accomplish this in their own way. He has a reference then to the social sciences. And for those people who... Long for a monolithic body of doctrine guarded by all and leaving room for no nuance, this might appear as undesirable and leading to confusion. But in fact, such variety seems to bring out the development of different facets of the inexhaustible riches of the gospel. He doesn't want (coughs) us to be set in our ways. At the same time, today's vast and rapid cultural changes demand that we constantly seek ways of expressing unchanging truths in a language which brings out their newness. The deposit of faith is one thing. The way it is expressed is another. There are times when the faithful, in listening to the completely orthodox language, take away something alien to the authentic gospel of Jesus. Isn't that true? You can hear the most (coughs) conservative, right-wing theological explanation of the Catholic faith and just miss the authentic gospel message he gives some examples of that later on in the doctrine i don 't think i 've un- underlined them for you today, but he, he said, you know if somebody talks about uh, sexual sins fifteen times a year from the pulpit and talks about social justice once a year from the pulpit, uh, then you 're going to have a have a uh, unbalanced uh, opinion of Christianity in your mind. In the holy intent of communicating the truth about God and humanity, we sometimes give a false God and a human ideal which is not really Christian. If we hold fast to a formulating while failing to convey its substance, this is the greatest danger. Never let us forget that the expression of truth can take different forms. The renewal of these forms of expression becomes necessary for the sake of transmitting to people of today the gospel message in its unchanging meaning. (coughs) The Pope is in terrible trouble in adverted commerce uh, with the right-wing press for asking what can be done about people that the church does not allow to receive Holy Communion. You've read something about that in some of the documents, you know, and he's asking only what we can do about it Uh, and immediately we get on the bandwagon and say you can do nothing about it because that's canon law and that's the law of the church and and you know, hard luck. And the Pope's saying, "Well, you know, I'm I'm wanting you to, to uh, speak to me about it and talk." He said, "There's a, there's a phrase in the, that he says in here. We'll get to it. I'm sure uh, that that the Eucharist is is uh, not for the saintly. You don't have to be a saint to go to communion. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come to me." Uh, and the prayer at the Last Supper is. Jesus said, I've longed to eat this Passover with you. And uh, he says to you, what can we do about it? And uh, we don't know the answer to that yet, but we've got an idea. Uh, In Australia, it's not very practical now because anybody that couldn't go to communion before it gets an annulment anyway, and they can go to communion after they got an annulment. So in practice, it's not, but it was a a very, very severe issue 50 years ago, pastorally. And I know people that didn't go to Holy Communion all their married life because they were married outside the church and brought up their children Catholic and they all their life, they just never, and longed and longed every Sunday, went to Mass every Sunday and longed and longed and longed that they could and they kept that because they thought that was the church was telling them to do and made them great saints. 42. <laughs> comes back to us. You can't give what you haven't got. All of this has great relevance for the preaching of the gospel. If we're really concerned to make its beauty more clearly recognised and accepted by all, of course, we'll never be able to make the church's teaching easily understood or readily appreciated by everyone. Faith always remains something of a cross. It it retains a certain obscurity which does not detract from the firmness of, of its ascent. Some things are understood and appreciated only from the standpoint of this ascent, which is the sister to love and beyond the level of clever reasons and arguments. We need to remember that all religious teaching ultimately has to be reflected in the teacher's way of life, which awakens the ascent of the heart by its nearness, by its love and by its witness. 44. 44 here's something you can give your parish priest. Moreover, pastors and lay people who accompany their brothers and sisters in faith on a journey of openness to God must always remember that the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches quite clearly imputability and responsibility for an action can be diminished or even nullified by ignorance, inadvertence, duress, fear, habit, inordinate attachments and other psychological or social factors. I learnt that as full consent, full grave matter and, and uh, full will or something, wasn't it, simpler. Consequently, without detracting from evangelical ideals, they need to accompany with mercy and patience the eventual stages of personal growth as they progressively occur. I want to remind priests that the confessional must not be a torture chamber, but rather an encounter with the Lord's mercies, which spurs us on to do our best. A small step in the midst of great human limitations, can be more pleasing to God than a life which appears outwardly in order but moves through the day without without confronting great difficulties. Everyone needs to be touched by the comfort and attraction of God's saving love which is mysteriously at work in each person. 46. The church which goes forth is the church whose doors are open. Oh, he has a section in there which uh, I haven't got to it or I skipped, uh, in, uh, invited all the churches of the world to be open 24 hours. Uh I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a parish priest anymore so I don't have the key. I'd, uh, I would like to uh, leave the church open 24 seven, I don't know. Uh, Going out to others in order to reach the fringes of humanity does not mean rushing out aimlessly into the world. Often it is better simply to slow down, to put aside our eagerness in order to see and listen to others, to stop rushing from one thing to another, to remain with someone who has faltered along the way. At times we have to be like the father of the prodigal son who always keeps his door open so that when the son returns he can readily pass through it. 47, it's pretty good now. You might have to show this to your parish priest. The church is called to be the house of the Father, with doors always wide open. One concrete sign of such openness is that our church doors should always be open, so that if someone moved by the Spirit comes looking for God, he or she will not find the closed door. There are other doors that should not be closed either. Everyone can share in some way in the life of the church, everyone can be part of the community nor should the doors of the sacraments be closed for simply any reason. This is especially true of the sacrament, which is itself the door, baptism. The Eucharist, although it is the fullness of sacramental life, is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. Amen? These convictions have pastoral consequences and we are called to consider them with prudence and boldness. Frequently, we act as arbiters of grace rather than as facilitators. But the church is not a toll house. It's the house of the Father where there's a place for everyone with all their problems. You all get that one? All right. This is, this is good stuff. This is renewing the church, you know. This is... Re- oh. To think that when little Kevin was ordained 55 years ago, what he was taught and what this guy's saying... Mind you, I held the book up in the seminary during the week when I, the after-dinner speech, they made a mistake and asked me to give an, an after-dinner speech. And I asked them if they read it and they'd never heard of it. 44 students now have, including the rector and the spiritual director. Amen. Yeah. Oh, they do doing other things. They asked me, what was the most important? One of the guys asked me dinner, not in my speech. What was the most important? I was there with another good friend. Classmate, priest friend, same age. Um, what was the most important stu- subject we studied? These are all students, you know, young and keen. I said sacred scripture by a mile. Sacred scripture by a mile. You're gonna have to use it every day whether you want to or not. Oh, by a mile. Oh. Uh, give them something to think about. I tell you, Kevin give you something, but this book give me more to think about than you ever could. If the whole forty eight. If the whole church takes up this missionary impulse, she has to go forth to everyone without exception. That's his big theme all the time. They're all in it. He's got a section here. We won't get to it today, but I'll give you the reference on the Muslims. He loves them all. But to whom should we go first? When we read the gospel, we find a clear indication, not so much our friends and wealthy neighbors, but above all, we go first to the poor and the sick. I can smell the sheep. There you go, first to the poor and the sick and those who are usually despised or overlooked, those who cannot repay you. There can be no room for doubt or explanations which weaken, so clear a message. Let us go forth then, 49. Let us go forth to offer everyone the life of Jesus Christ. There it is, one of the 241 times he mentions Jesus for me that is just so refreshing because I haven't heard it in the church that I grew up in. I heard it in the charismatic community all the time the name of Jesus and I love it and I know the power of it. Here I repeat for the entire church what I've often said to the priests and the laity of Buenos Aires I prefer a church which is bruised hurting and dirty because it's been out on the streets rather than a church who is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. I do not want a church concerned with being at the centre and then that ends up being caught in a web of obsessions and procedures. If something should rightly disturb us and trouble our consciences, it is the fact that so many of our brothers and sisters are living without the strength of the light and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ, without a community of faith to support them, without meaning and a goal in life, more than by fear of going astray. My hope is that we will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which give us a false sense of security which rules within rules which make us harsh judges, with habits which make us feel safe while at our door people are starving and Jesus does not tire of saying to us, give them something to eat. Amen. Well, I think, you know, I could there's a lot more. The next very passage, number 50 is on the On the charismatic gift of discernment of spirits. And uh, I just think, probably before we exhaust the subject in ourselves, uh, I was going to do about another four or five pages, but. uh, uh, Why don't don't we just stand up, turn around? Stand up. You've been going for an hour. Truly. All right. And then we'll come back for a five minute wind up. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come back. Well, turn around, do a 360. Have a a scratch, as they say, (laughs) uh, (laughs) or whatever whatever the need may be. And, uh, yeah, truly. Any other? Do you you like it? Yeah. Like like Yeah. It's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I got to... I think
0: I just need to read over the bits that you've already covered. Yeah, yeah. There's enough there, plenty. There's enough there for a year just to do a little bit at a time. He works. If you look closely, he works through the gifts of uh, the Spirit. The, the next, very next line is uh, I've just put discernment and. Uh, uh, yeah, would you like a drink? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll just wind them up in five minutes. I will leave them. Uh, that's the headings that I wasn't going to do tonight anyway. But uh, we didn't even get that far. But but uh, there can be yeah anybody. Oh, there's a big section on the youth. They're here tonight. Are the youth here tonight? Yeah, they're not really now. No, Chris. Chris was going to bring him, but I don't think it happened. Yeah. No. All right. Well, we're down. We're up to where we are. All right. All right. In the. Uh, fine. Fine. We ready? Back. Sit down. Take it easy. I think. Uh, I think we've done enough. I think we've done enough. Um, he has big sections that I was just going to leave the list of, that you can look up with the reference number on how to evangelize, on the charisms of the church. He talks a lot about the kerygma. I'd really like to do that. I'll come back to it. Spiritual direction, social justice, the poor, politicians, a lovely section for the politicians, section on the homeless, addicted, refugees, indigenous and elderly, abortion, ecumenism, Muslims, prayer, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and Mary, of course, is the star of the evangelization. He has a special devotion to Mary, um, not mentioned in this document, but from other places I know, and you can look it up on the net. He has a devotion. He found a statue in Germany when he was a student, and the devotion is Mary, untie of knots. Now, if that's not inner healing, uh, if that's not inner healing, I'll give up, all right? uh and uh, so you look that up on the net if you like and uh there's a big section on for the youth in there which i didn't get to the kerygma I, he talks a lot in the preaching section on the charigma and evangelization so basically he says the guts of he wouldn't say a word like that um, <laughs> the, the, the heart of evangelization the kerygma He said, that's a Greek word. I told you once I knew a little Greek, didn't I? Yeah, Yeah. He had a delicatessen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, all right. Now, the charisma of the gospel. He said, even if you're a catechist, if you're evangelizing on a street corner, and and, uh, what is it that an evangelist does? The guts of evangelization. He said, it's three things. It's proclaiming that God loves you. It's proclaiming Jesus died for you. And it's proclaiming that God's spirit is with you today, helping you. That must be in every time you go out. and every minute. You don't have to specifically say those things, but it's got to be implicit in what you're saying. If you go through all of St. Paul's preaching, if you go through all the gospel preaching, all the, all the teaching in the, in the epistles, that's the heart of the gospel. And if you hear a sermon, if you hear a year's worth of sermons where the parish priest has not mentioned Jesus, tell him. Well, you, you, so if he's not said God loves you, I don't suppose tell him it's not the thing. But if you're just if you're just a catechist and you've spent a half an hour in a classroom and you haven't mentioned the charisma that God loves you, Jesus died for you, the Holy Spirit is helping you today. If you haven't said that one way or another, you are not giving the center of you're not giving the charisma of the of evangelization. Evangelizers do those things. They tell the, the people that they are evangelizing, that God loves them, that Jesus died for them and that the Holy Spirit works with them and through them today, that Jesus is risen. He's so big on that, you can't believe it. And uh, I jump with joy when I hear it and I find myself finishing talking to you on a Sunday and you bet, I saying, did I sort of say those things today? Uh, and sometimes there'll be one or two or never three that I didn't say, and I can assure you, I spend the rest of the week kicking myself and making sure that I say it the next week. You know, you can't, if you're preaching the gospel, you've got to say that. If you th- Every other thing will follow. He's not just saying keep to those three points. He's not saying it, say it specifically. He's not saying you've got to say it one, two, and three like a school class, but at the end of your talk, if that's not implicit in what you were saying, you are not giving them the joy of the gospel, and joy is not happy clappy hello. Joy is the absolute conviction in your heart that God loves you unconditionally, no matter what. Amen. So that's why he gets the joy of the gospel and the charisma of evangelization. Amen. Amen. You're very patient. You're very good, and I think I think, and uh, if the other ten points are. I leave a list there if anybody ever wants to look at them. And just to prove that I could have kept you for another two hours. <laughs> no, <laughs> praise the Lord, spare us. Huh? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Boy.